Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. April is here, and that means it's time for basketball playoffs. You can use our promo code BLEAVE50, B-L-E-A-V, Five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Then you can use that 50% welcome bonus at Bet Online Sportsbook to place a plus 6,000 bet on my Sacramento Kings to light the beam and win the NBA championship. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous April 5th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It's a Stripe Hype Wednesday here on the show. Blake Jude and I are going to play one of our famous guessing games around a tweet that went out by Warren Sharp talking about the top 10 and bottom 10 NFL teams over the last five seasons in terms of snaps played by players the team drafted. It's an interesting game about which teams are the best and which teams are the worst at having homegrown drafted players. I shouldn't say homegrown because players are forced into this ridiculous draft system where they are selected to these places. Where is it that players have been selected that they play the most snaps for the teams in question? And Does that correlate to better performance, worse performance, or something in between? And as a little bit of a teaser... There are teams in the top five who have won Super Bowls in the last five years, and there's a team in the bottom five that has won a Super Bowl in the last five years. What happens in between? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. First off on the show today, I want to touch on a story in the NFL that came out on Tuesday, and and I'm sure we'll touch on this more in the coming week because it involves the Arizona Cardinals. We have a lot of Arizona Cardinals connections on the show. We do the Red Rain podcast with Walter Mitchell for SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals page. Joe Camo has frequently been a guest on the show. Brett Coleman, who has joined Walter on the show, he's been here before. So lots of connections around the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle Odegaard, who was tweeting some very interesting tweets. He used to work in the organization and felt bad for the people that he worked with who are stuck in this cycle of toxicity. He left the organization a few years ago. Uh, I've talked to him, met him before. We, we've had some 
connections on that. So we've got some connections to the Arizona Cardinals organization. And so I'm sure we'll talk more about this, if not with Walter uh, and the Red Rain podcast this week, perhaps with Joe Camo and further Arizona Cardinals conversations. But I just want to touch on this story very quickly. And if you haven't been following, I'm going to first start off by reading off the ESPN story about Terry McDonough, who has worked with the Arizona Cardinals from, I believe it was 2014 to 2019. Maybe he worked even longer than that, but specifically what I think of as 2014 to 2019 is the time in question with with an arbitration claim that he has filed with NFL Court. And I've talked before, NFL Court is ridiculous it's silly rules it's not a real legal proceeding but he is filing with nfl court seeking financial damages instead of taking it to real court so the nfl might be more likely to side with him investigate Uh, i'm not exactly sure what the rationale is but he is filing arbitration seeking financial uh seeking financial compensation for stunting his progression in the nfl and emotional damages as it relates to working with the Arizona Cardinals organization. And part of this is he's bringing evidence forward, and I'm going to read now from the ESPN story. Arizona Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell is detailed to have exhibited gross misconduct, including cheating, discrimination, and harassment in the arbitration claim filed by former Cardinals executive Terry McDonough to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. McDonough maintained that both he and former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes were left with no choice but to follow Bidwell's plan to use burner phones to communicate with former Arizona general manager Steve Keim while Keim was serving a five-week suspension after pleading guilty to extreme DUI in, in 2018. And remember, 2018 was the one season that Steve Wilkes was the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. He's part of the class action lawsuit filed by Brian Flores, alleging discrimination in hiring practices and that the Cardinals used him as a bridge coach to hire the person they would eventually bring in next because they drafted Josh Rosen, gave him three offensive coordinators in one season and fired Steve Wilkes. Hired the black guy to clean up the job left by Bruce Arians and then went on to hire another white guy immediately after. As many cases have done before, Brian Flores has detailed that the Dolphins hired him to tear it all to the ground. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers did this with Raheem Morris. The Cleveland Browns did this with Hugh Jackson, hired him just to go 1-31. The Houston Texans just did this three times in a row with a head coach, Romeo Cornell, David Culley, and Lovey Smith all got hired as clean hire a black guy to clean up your mess and their mess was so big it took three of them to clean up the shit that the Houston Texans made with Jack Easterby so part of the class action lawsuit against the NFL from Brian Flores and Steve Wilkes this is the year in question that McDonough is filing a lawsuit for or, well filing an arbitration claim in NFL court it's a it's an NFL it's it's in NFL court so we call it an arbitration claim But it's basically suing the Cardinals, looking to resolve the matter in a way that gets financial compensation and potentially brings forth some, does some good to try and clean up the Arizona Cardinals organization. So after the burner phone incident, which is the cheating one, 
Terry McDonough said he still has the phone, which he said contains the evidence of the cheating scandal as well as additional documentation. So he has evidence that he can prove in fake NFL court that will lead to him getting forced to pay financial compensation as part of Bidwell's contract to be owner of an NFL team. In a detailed response sent to ESPN, the Cardinals strongly denied the allegations. More on this in a second, but I'm just going to continue forward reading the details before I come back to the Cardinals' statement, which I'm going to put in air quotes as statement for now. In the filing, Terry McDonough said he and Steve Wilkes objected and, quote, objected to and sought to avoid participation in a scheme hatched by Bidwell to utilize burner phones to communicate with general manager Steve Keim in violation of the terms of Keim's suspension for extreme DUI during a critical period of the Cardinals training camp in the summer of 2018. In response to McDonough's objection to the illicit burner phone scheme, Bidwell cursed at, berated, and formally reprimanded McDonough and ultimately demoted him, irrevocably damaging the trajectory of McDonough's 34-year career in the National Football League. Bidwell also subjected McDonough to bullying, mocking, harassing, and abusive behavior. End quote. The filing said that the day after McDonough told Bidwell neither he nor Wilkes wanted to communicate with Kime during the suspension, Bidwell summoned him to his office and wrote him up for quote-unquote insubordination. Terry McDonough also accused Bidwell of sabotaging Wilkes' first opportunity as an NFL head coach before he fired him at the end of his one season on the job. McDonough says Bidwell has continued to demote and harass him since summer 2019. McDonough is the son of legendary Boston Globe reporter Will McDonough and brother of ESPN broadcaster Sean McDonough. He was the Cardinals' vice president of player personnel from 2014 to 2019. In 2017, he was a finalist for the San Francisco 49ers general manager position, along with John Lynch and George Payton, the current general managers of the 49ers and Denver Broncos. In the claim, McDonough said that opportunities for advancement in the NFL evaporated after his refusal to go along with Bidwell. McDonough is seeking damages for breach of contract and emotional distress. The Cardinals have 20 days to respond to McDonough's claim under the NFL's dispute resolution procedural guidelines. Then Goodell shall determine whether the dispute is football-oriented or not football-oriented, blah blah blah, football court is stupid. The Cardinals denied blocking McDonough's professional career. We'll get back to that statement in a second. McDonough said that he wants to prevent Bidwell from treating people the way he said he was treated and that he believes he is giving voice to a group of Cardinals employees too scared to speak out against Bidwell. He called his treatment, quote, consistent with a pattern of workplace misconduct by Bidwell that is endemic and the hallmark of his stewardship of the storied Cardinals franchise, end quote. McDonough said in his filing that Bidwell had treated a black employee and two pregnant women poorly and, quote, created an environment of fear for minority employees. The filing did not include specifics on either alleged incident. The grievance also said Bidwell reduced two pregnant women, one five months pregnant, the other seven months, to tears after screaming at them with, quote, abusive and bullying mistreatment, end quote. McDonough said he has proof that in 2019, the Cardinals' top brass decided to conduct an employee engagement survey with all their employees, only to see Bidwell intercept the results of the survey and cancel it. 
Quote, many of the employees who responded to the survey indicated that they were fearful of Bidwell on a daily basis as a result of Bidwell's erratic and often abusive interactions with them, the filing said. The grievance that McDonough submitted to Bidwell's attorney last week and Goodell on Tuesday alleged that Bidwell's widespread workplace misconduct is significantly worse than the misbehavior of former Crosstown Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver, whom the NBA suspended one year, fined $10 million before Sarver ultimately sold the franchise. Side note, a story that we detailed back in 2021 and into 2022 once the sale went through. Bidwell fired Wilkes after the 2018 season, when the team finished 3-13. At the news conference to announce the firing of Wilkes, Bidwell said, quote, I didn't get it right, while Kime said, we're all held accountable. The grievance from Terry McDonough said, quote, The passage of time and exposure of the facts have revealed those comments to be almost pervasive, or sorry, perverse in their inaccuracy, misguidedness, and gaslighting nature. Steve Wilkes has demonstrated that he is a skilled NFL head coach when he is not forced to cheat and is given an opportunity to succeed. And contrary to Kime's statement, neither he nor Bidwell have ever been held to account for their illicit actions during the 2018 preseason, end quote. The grievance said that Wilkes recently joined the racial discrimination class action lawsuit brought by Brian Flores and its teams, with Wilkes alleging that he was hired by Bidwell only to serve as a bridge coach without being given the opportunity to succeed, and that he was, quote, the fall guy for failures that were largely attributed to Steve Keim. So that's the story that came out yesterday through the lawsuit Time is going to go through, again, NFL court is going to decide the punishment for Michael Bidwell, whether he might be pressured to sell his team, which given the the pushback from Dan Snyder, it might be difficult to uh, foresee a circumstance in which we're talking about the Arizona Cardinals moving on from this situation, or the, the, the family that has owned the Cardinals for close to 100 years moving on from the from the NFL. And if you remember those NFL PA report cards, which we talked about with Walter Mitchell and Joe Camo about a month ago, it was on a, a Monday episode of the show that we did. We talked about how the Arizona Cardinals were 31st out of 32nd. And the story that was most connected to the report cards was the Arizona Cardinals made players pay for meals and they were the only team that docked meals at the team facility from their paychecks and the story that didn't quite get as much attention was talking about the daycare situation at the Arizona Cardinals facility and the treatment of women within the Cardinals facility I mean it was a player report card and obviously there's not I don't think any females employed within the football operations side of the Cardinals within the coaching staff of the Cardinals and they the people who work within the Arizona Cardinals on the business end of the organization appear to be mistreated in ways that are endemic with many NFL ownerships and would support the fact that the Arizona Cardinals finished only worse than a team with an active <laughs> the old with active congressional and SEC investigations against them like multiple branches of government investigating their workplace behavior is the only organization that finished worse 
than the Arizona Cardinals. And this is endemic of stuff that Walter Mitchell's been talking about, that Kyle Odegaard's been talking about, that Joe Camo has mentioned, although less connected in reporting side of it. People with sources and people with connections to the Cardinals organization have been talking about the toxicity within the organization, the Bidwell's lack of desire to spend more than they potentially earn and correct mistakes and take financial losses on the Cardinals. And when you operate within a zero-sum game with now what we know to be a toxic workplace with evidence that can be backed up not just in stupid NFL court, but also in real court. It's interesting to see the evidence now be brought forward and a whistleblower in a former employee, Terry McDonough, being the person to potentially begin a movement that will help push the Bidwells out because the reputational hit may not be able to survive in the same way it happened with Robert Sarver, where he wasn't forced to sell his team, but was really left with no option after the year-long suspension and the fine. I know Mark Cuban powered through it in the NBA and got to keep his team, showed the levels of contrition that one might believe would be appropriate to move forward, and obviously Daniel Snyder has been bucking back against the trend over the past year or so, really close to two or three years now with Daniel Snyder, but it will ultimately lead to Snyder being forced to sell unless the owners step in and force him out. The Bidwells might be more willing to take one for the team and sell the, sell in the near future if the reputational hits are so great. And in the meantime, we'll go through the arbitration process, NFL court, and the Cardinals will be run incredibly poorly in a way that is damaging to the reputation of that organization. Because when it's from the top down in terms of leadership, it's hard to sh- it's hard to change to say you're going to promote change when you, the billionaire who inherited your team from the grandfather and the great-grandfather, are the pers- are the people who are supposed to fix this situation. When you are still the person in power and making the leadership decisions, doesn't speak highly of the cultural change within the organization. Now, before we move on from this story, and again, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it more, I do want to point out one thing that was kind of ridiculous, and that is the cardinal statement. And I've been calling it a statement in air quotes because when you are going through a report of harassment of women, racial uh, racial discrimination, I mean, they call it cheating, which is breaking the terms of Kimes suspension. When you have details of cheating, racial discrimination, discrimination against women within the workplace from your owner specifically. The thing you should do is no comment. If you're going to decide to comment anyways, don't do what the Arizona Cardinals did, which is release a 21-paragraph-long manifesto explaining and being defensive about why this fake lawsuit is baseless and how you plan to defend yourself in court. Save that information for court. You don't need to put it out in a 21 page long a, a 21 paragraph long manifesto with bullet points and everything. It's just completely unnecessary. Don't do that dumb organization led by Michael Bidwell. Don't hire a PR firm with that paid for Twitter verification in order to post the PR statement in the comment section of Mina Kimes' Twitter account. 
Don't hire a PR firm that pays for Twitter to file a 21-paragraph-long manifesto on your behalf. Just terrible idea. Don't do that. Arizona, just seriously, that is a really, really bad idea. And I don't understand why you put that out into the universe. A 21-paragraph-long defensive statement about the accusations brought against your organization, detailed in your organization. Just don't do that. There are worse ways to, there are very few worse ways to go about it. If you're going to no comment, yeah, obviously it's not ideal to put out a statement defending yourself. Don't put out a 21 paragraph long manifesto of a statement. Just, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I was like, what is this? Why are you doing this? It's so unnecessary. And part of it is that Michael Bidwell cares about what other people think about him and what the fan base thinks about him. He's one of those owners who's frequently listening to like talk radio and reading stories about the Cardinals. Dude, it's so unnecessary. It was so, so unnecessary to defend yourself like that. Man, it's just absolutely ridiculous. It just made me, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Like, there, it was linked in the story from ESPN. I clicked on it. And I'm like, what the hell? It, oh my God. Why would you write a 21 paragraph long defense? Uh, why would you write a small essay being totally defensive about these accusations? Just absolutely the wrong way to handle it. I couldn't believe it. Just a terrible, terrible job by Arizona. And I'm already starting to think that this is going to end poorly. If if I know the Bidwells and I know the Cardinals even a little bit from these two years of covering the team, this is probably not going to end well. Let's get Seattle at 31. Kansas City moves down three spots. I don't know. Give them like a fourth round pick or something like that to yeah. move up a little bit. And Seattle takes Kalaja Kansi. And they they get Kalaja Kansi and Tyree Wilson. So their defensive line is going to be insane. <laughs> next year that is crazy (laughs) seattle sliding up into the first round kansas city gets first round pick at second round prices and seattle gets a fifth year option on their defensive lineman yep that would yep i'm glad we got cancy drafted that was that was important to me because he's a first round pick all right let's go back through mock draft 2.0 here what do you think what do you like what do you feel any of the stuff that we did today uh, trading back for Will Levis was super unique uh, and a lot of fun to do. Um, that was that was kind of fun. Um, I love exploring. I know Steelers fans are very happy for Joey Porter Jr. I know that would be absolutely so much fun for them. Um, I loved you trading up with Indianapolis to get Michael Mayer. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> insane. Um, we get to see how far Jalen Carter is probably going to fall now. And I think 19 might even be a good case scenario for him. Uh, it could get a lot worse. Um, it kind of feels like for me, picks 21 through 25 have been very similar for a long time. I feel like it's been a lot of Addison, uh, a lot of offensive line for Baltimore, Quentin Johnston, Keely Ringo, John Michael Schmitz. It's been kind of like my, my generic 21 through 25 picks. Um, at least for me, um, very happy that Deontay Banks is a Bengal. I am. Um, I applaud your pick there for sure. Would give that an A uh, if I had to grade the pick at that point. Um, Brian Brees, he gets to reunite with Miles Murphy, which I think is a very fun storyline in Detroit. 
Um, and I think Dalton Kincaid and Claudia Cansey both are going to be impact players for New Orleans and Seattle and the NFC. Um, and, and both those teams are, are looking to be potential playoff uh, you know, contenders with, uh, with those extra weapons that they have um, on their team. So I really do think this is a fun draft overall. Um, I think this is super unique than what from what I'm usually am with the trades that we've made. You know, that those like three team trades, I think uh added a whole nother wrinkle that kind of changed the entire order of the NFL draft. And it's really fun because that happens so often, right? Any little thing could butterfly effect into a completely different draft. And that's that's really fun to to kind of look back on and consider. You just put an interesting idea in my head, which is like, so say New Orleans gets New Orleans battle would be a super interesting playoff matchup in the first round, like a wild card five versus four between Seattle and yeah. New Orleans. That, that would be interesting to watch. Honestly, that that honestly can, might be what I predict <laughs> because I think Seattle might be one of the best wild card teams um, potentially. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's them in Dallas. Dallas, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, it feels like New Orleans is definitely like the worst division favorite by far. <laughs> yeah, I think that so, that division is kind of trash. Kind of trash. And also, you, you got to think Seattle might have a bloated record because they had to have two or really four free wins against the Rams and the Cardinals, who are horrible next year. Um, you know, so I mean, I feel like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I that think, would be a I, really fun matchup. I think the the NFC West plays the the AFC North next year so that might provide a couple of wins for them I don't know what the AFC North is going to look like at this point but that would be interesting to follow as uh as we wind our way through uh, Seattle's interesting because I I know they don't see Gino as the long-term option at this point and like we had them doing a lot of like winding and maneuvering <laughs> in our draft so you know it, it'll be weird to see how they play it out but they've got so many picks they hit on so many last year because I think they're just a well-run organization, even though they haven't won a championship in 10 years now because that Malcolm Butler Super Bowl was 10 years ago now. I can't believe that that's a thing that's happening. Uh, I yeah, feel so old. old. <laughs> yeah, Me and you both. That that being 10 years ago just feels so weird. But uh, Seattle's in such an interesting position because I could see like a thousand different directions they go next year, up, down player selection roster construction there's just so many possibilities for seattle and i think nailing that russell wilson trade has given the and nailing those draft picks last year they're not a championship contender but it's they're kind of like in the position that uh the the uh the Bengals were in that year that they went like five and eleven but everyone got hurt like burrow and they like were ready to make that step up that's kind of where i feel like seattle is right now we're like we might look up and it's like, oh, hey, they've got one of the five best rosters in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, and that's just kind of, I don't know, that's just kind of how I think the NFL works in general. And I think, um, you know, day one of the draft is so key, I think, for the for like the future tempo of the draft, too. I mean, you, you really got to buckle down and decide what player is going to be the most impactful um, on your team at this point. And we, you know, sometimes that that entices teams to go BPA, and that can again change the entire draft. If you take a position need um, that teams might not expect, maybe their entire board changes and everything changes. Um, it's just fun to see how, um, you know, how these different first round picks can change a lot. Like, for example, I think in this draft right now, you look at Miles Murphy and Brian Breesey. You add that to the Lions' defensive line, 
I think they have a very good defense that could, um, you know, potentially almost hide the problem that they might have at corner potentially. Um, and at the same time, they have a very high-powered offense as well. All of a sudden, I think those two picks you just made can potentially turn the Lions to finally winning the division in the NFC North after so long. You know, I think it's pretty cool how you know small things like that can um, can just change the entire direction of a franchise. That's so wild to think about that Detroit, the reason they didn't succeed last year wasn't the offense, it was the defense. And if you're telling yep. me the defense is going to be top 10 and the offense is going to be top half in the league, I mean, yep. I know they lost Jamal Williams, but like, I mean, top top half offense and top 10 defense, that's a team that can go on a run or maybe win a playoff game for the first time or second time in 60 years. Yep. Yeah, I definitely think... Uh... I definitely think um, it can just completely change the course of what happens. And, and you know, I, I love having drafts when they have a Quentin Nelsons of the world and just guys that are just so good. And you're just like, man, like, I had to have him on my team because he's just way too good of a football player for me to pass up on. You know, I love those drafts classes. Um, and I feel like, um, you know, this year is a lot different because we don't have that guy. You know what I mean? It's a lot of guys I think are potentially risky. But, um, you know, I feel like Murphy and Brees here are two of the guys that don't really feel risky to me, you know, at all. They don't feel like a risk. They feel like bona fide, pretty good players. Man, we don't talk enough about just how awesome that 2018 class was. Like, I know we always say, like, the 2011 draft class is going to be the best ever. But for this generation, 2018 was, like, kind of that because... You go down the list. So you had obviously Baker and say and Sam Darnold, those teams took L's on that. But then you had after that Denzel Ward four, Bradley Chubb five, Quentin Nelson fell to six, even though I think he was the second highest graded prospect ever. Uh Josh Allen at seven, the Bills Josh Allen, Roquan Smith. Then you go down to eleven. It's Minka Fitzpatrick. It's Vita Vea yeah. at twelve. Uh so of the bad. top of the top 20 picks, let's see. Of the top 20 picks, 14 of them have made a Pro Bowl. Wow, that is crazy. Which sucks if you're the Saints who traded two first-round picks for Marcus Davenport. <laughs> or, <laughs> I mean, even, like I said, 14 of them have made a Pro Bowl before, but even Mike McGlinchey and Colton Miller were not bad picks. I mean, they're right. not Pro Bowlers, but they're not, like, absolute busts either. Like... The, that draft class quality tackles yeah for sure yep. even if you didn't get a superstar like deron Payne or vita vea or tremaine edmonds or uh jair alexander frank ragnow i mean th this draft class was stacked yeah they were really really good and you know there was one point where i thought that would be this year's class <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny how that changes like it always changes yeah, man, there weren't a there weren't a whole lot of uh, blue chipper. Twenty twenty one might end up feeling like that. Wait, wait, wait no, twenty twenty was the uh, no, twenty twenty one was the Micah Parsons draft class. That one might feel like it yeah. if we if we give it enough time. Twenty twenty one might end up yeah. being that draft class where it's like, wow, how did Micah Parsons fall to pick? Uh, what was it? Twelve, I think, in the draft. Yeah, Waddle, Chase, Smith, Waddle, Chase, Panay Sewell, Amon uh, Saint Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown is in that class. Patrick Sertan. Uh, yep. Rashawn Slater is in that JC draft Horn. class. J.C. Horn, too. I mean, I'll always remember J.C. Horn as the guy the Panthers took over Justin Fields, but J.C. Horn's not bad either. Right. Yeah, that's true. Even Kyle Pitts. 
Even Kyle Pitts was at the top of that class. I don't think the Falcons yeah. like are pissed that they got Kyle Pitts. It's just they missed no. out on some good players. Yeah. I don't know. Kyle Pitts has not worked out the way I was hoping he would. Uh, that's kind of crazy to me. Like I'm starting to get a little worried. Well, yeah, because Arthur Smith, he wants the offense that runs the ball 15 times a game. And it's cool if you want the offense that runs the ball 15 times a game. It just makes me think, why did you draft? Why did you draft receiver with your two top 10 picks? If you want to run the ball 15 times a game and just recreate the 2019 Titans. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. It kind of confused. I guess they're just really trying to avoid being the Baltimore Ravens. But I don't know. It's just the whole. I think they're uh, just ridiculous. I think they're hoping that the. There can almost be a guessing game for teams now because teams are so committed to stopping their run. Normally last year, maybe having the threats of those two talented receivers can force them to, you know, play a little bit further back and allow the running game to open up a little bit more. Well, you're going to, you're going to trick people with Desmond Ritter. Is that what you're going to I mean, (laughs) that's what they're down to at this point. I mean, Ritter Ritter can run the ball and he can throw. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe trying to keep them on their toes. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how their approach goes this next year. I bet you Taylor Heineke's playing by week five. Taylor Heineke's playing quarterback for them by week five. I honestly wouldn't shock me at all. Would not shock me one bit. It's just ridiculous. It's just they're not even trying. The Falcons are not even trying. They might they might mess around and win eight games, but they're they're not even they're trying. Tanking for Caleb Williams. I mean, they're not tanking. They're still like they won seven games last year and they're not they're no worse this year than they were last year. It just no, they're far better, actually. My opinion. I don't know what yeah. they're doing. Jesse I mean, Bates. Jesse Bates, Jesse Bates really helps. And they got Calais Campbell and yep. they're actually um, spending the money that they have. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, they're they're trying to go on all in right now on, on um I don't know. They'll probably win a couple of games, I guess. We'll just have to see. I mean, if they if they lose a bunch, then I can see Ritter getting replaced. And at that point, then maybe you do look to tank at that point, you know. But if they start winning a couple of games, maybe you ride out with Hook with uh you know Ritter after a full season and then assess if he's your future or not in the next that off season. I just I I can't believe Lamar Jackson's there and they have the money and they have the picks and they're just not doing it. It just it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, it's like you're not even trying. I mean, the Raiders might end up with a rookie, so I'll change my mind. But I'm like, the Raiders really said, "Nah, we'll take Jimmy Garoppolo over Lamar Jackson." I just right. like, they overpaid so, Garoppolo like completely. Yeah, yeah, they totally overpaid Garoppolo to be a bridge quarterback, which is basically what he is at this point. I mean, he was a, a backup for four years with the Patriots when he could have been a starter. He was a starter for six seasons. They tried to get rid of him, and two years later. He's already played out his go to a bad team and be a back. Like at this point, he's a bridge to whatever the next thing is, and then he'll be a backup quarterback. That's just what happens after 10 years of being a starter. He's in the the Andy Dalton Bears stage of his career, and the Raiders paid him so much money to be Andy Dalton on the Bears. Yeah, no, I mean, you hit it on the dot there. That's exactly what it is. And I mean, I hope that maybe they... I, I love that they got Anthony Richardson in our mock draft because I hope that they have a quarterback in the future that fans can be excited about. And I think AR with, with, with what you just saw from his athletic testing, I mean, it's hard not to get excited about someone who is the most athletic and physically gifted quarterback that has ever been 
graded. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's really, really cool to think about, you know? Um, and, and that, and that tells me that he might have one of the highest ceilings in the NFL, you know? And I mean, I know that's crazy to say for Anthony Richardson, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I feel like the sky's the limit. It all just depends on what he can do in terms of making decisions and, uh, you know, how, how accurate he's able to be whenever he throws a football. I think that's, that's really the big key things for him right now. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo could offer for Anthony Richardson, but at least he gives him some competition and maybe lets you not force Richardson out immediately and let him develop maybe a year or two. Well, you know, if there's one thing the Raiders are known for, it's for maximizing high ceiling potential. That's definitely something the Raiders of all teams are going to be great at maximizing and know how to develop. Yes, completely. Yeah. Yes, of course. (laughs) With the team that... Warren Sharp point. Players, <laughs> yeah, the Warren Sharp put out the list of last five years uh snaps played by the team snaps played by players the team drafted themselves. Uh the 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 31st place was so this is the last five years snaps played by players that the team drafted. And mm-hmm. 31st was the Jets with about 47,000 snaps. And uh, for for reference, 22nd was Arizona. Oh, this would have been a good game to play, the guessing top five, bottom five game. But uh, I just got to share this real quick. So the Jets were second to last at 47,000 snaps. Uh, first place was Dallas at 91,000, just for reference. Okay. Um, so 91,000 was the Cowboys at one. Jets were 31st at 47,000. Uh, Las Vegas was dead last at 12,000 snaps. Oh my God! Yeah, John Gruden and uh, Mike Mayock were really bad at their jobs. Just really bad at their jobs. Jeez, and the team is rebuilding too. Yeah, yeah. That's rough. That's That's the thing I said about the Raiders this year when they were talking about do you fire McDaniel's or do you not? I was like, look, like you can acknowledge that you've messed up, but at a certain point, like you can't just miss on every single top draft pick. Like not even right. the middle round ones, like miss on every top draft pick and like not have it come back to bite you. Like eventually you're going to have to pay the bill for four years of making horribly wrong draft picks. Yeah, there's just a severe lack of talent in certain positions. You know, that's the problem with with Las Vegas right now. And it, I don't really think they've made any kind of direction in terms of fixing that. They just lost Matt Collins and Darren Waller, who were two of their best pass catchers last year, aside from Devontae Adams. So if anything, they've gotten potentially even worse. Um, so, I mean, you know, they're going to be in a year that's going to be not a lot of fun for them. And I guess might as well get your quarterback now while you still can. All right. Well, we quickly have time here. I've got the top 10 and the bottom 10 here. So I don't know who's in the middle. There's two, they didn't list the teams in the middle, but I'll let you know if it's 11 through 22 is the team. So do you think you can guess the top five teams who have had total snaps over the last five years by a player they drafted. I already said number one was Dallas. Do you think you can yeah. get the other five? Oh, boy. Um, Maybe. This would be tough, though. But this is like those dumb games that we play where it's kind of random and the stats, you can kind of get right. an idea, but it's hard to gauge exactly. Right. I want to say Green Bay. Green Bay is eighth on the list, so eighth yeah. most. Okay, I kind of threw out just a random answer there, honestly. 
Um, I definitely don't think it's going to be the Bengals, so I'm going to take them out. Uh, Baltimore. Well, I'm just going to say real quick, the Bengals were sixth. The Bengals were sixth. Were they? Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot more than I thought. Okay. What about Baltimore? Baltimore is third. You got yep. it. Baltimore is third in most snaps played by a player the team drafted. Okay. So we got first and third. Um, what about Minnesota? Minnesota's number two. Did I? I got it. Nailed yeah. it. Wow. You got one, two, and three now. Minnesota, number two at 85,496. Okay. One, two, and three. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Atlanta. Atlanta's number five. Am I actually getting these? Okay. Yeah, you've got okay. you've got three in a row. One more, one more. Okay. I gotta think. Um, trying to like go through the positions in my head. I'm gonna go New York the Jets. The Jets are second to last. <laughs> oh, oh wow! They're, they're 31 on oh, this list. That was way off. Oh wow! I figured they would. They had a lot of rookies starting this year. Last five years, so we got some Adam Gase years in there. <laughs> oh, okay, that's why. That's why. You know what? That's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. Did not think about that. I keep forgetting the last five years. That's that's what's throwing me off. Um, ooh, he's tough. Three in a row. I'm gonna just do that. Um, definitely not Denver. Can. Maybe Kansas City? Kansas City is somewhere between 11 and 22. I don't have the data in the okay. middle, but they're somewhere okay. between 11 and 22. Gotcha. I'm going to start rapid firing these because I feel like I'm not really going to get this last one. I'm at, I, I don't, it's number four, right? Number four yeah, number four. The Bears? Uh, Bears are somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, Eagles? Eagles are also somewhere in the middle. Hmm. The, am I getting the the last place ones too? I feel like I have some thoughts on. Uh, thoughts. yeah, you can guess the last place ones. Uh, we've we've got the Jets and Raiders are the bottom two. Right, I think right. You can yeah. Get third, fourth, and fifth lowest too. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm still gonna go for the the highest run for now but i'm gonna go to that after um i'm gonna say san francisco for highest san francisco somewhere between 11 and 22 sounds like the best teams are all kind of between 11 and 22 really okay i don't think it would be new england new england is also somewhere between 11 and 22 <laughs> wow um Hmm. I feel like a lot of them have to be on the offensive line. It wouldn't be. Did I already say Houston? You did not say Houston. You do check off the box for Houston being bottom five. They are the fifth lowest. Fifth lowest. Okay. Good that job works. there. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, like teams who have started a lot of rookies in the offensive line. 
like that's what I'm trying to like. That's like more of my thought process is because that's that they're going to play a lot of snaps. Um, also, mm-hmm. rookie quarterbacks as well. You are kind of on the right track. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Rookie offensive line, young offensive line. Call it younger mm-hmm. offensive line. The Giants. The Giants are fourth lowest. <laughs> oh, that's rough. You got number four, just the fourth worst. Uh, that's <laughs> Dave Gettleman is the reason why the Giants. Are yeah. Dave Gettleman is the reason they're so low. Yeah. I know they've had a lot of rookies play off the line. So. Um, Titans. Titans are eighth worst. Okay. Hmm. Trying to think of a young offensive line. Have I said Seattle yet? You have not said Seattle. Seattle comes in ninth best. Okay. Just okay. ahead of, or sorry, just below Green Bay. Hmm. Did I say Tampa? You have not said Tampa. That's your number four. That's yep. the fourth best is Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh, my my hint for you was going to be Super Bowl champion in the last five years. So I was I was thinking they got to get some guys to play with Tom Brady uh, to fill out the rest of the roster. <laughs> so I think exactly. I think Vita Vea and Tristan Wirfs are helping with uh that, yeah. those numbers. I'm sure they are. Yeah. And even Definitely. guys like uh, Whitehead's not there anymore, but he was picked by them, played four years. Sean Murphy Bunting, Jamel Dean. Anton Winfield. Anton Winfield. I mean, they, the, the bulk of that Super Bowl defense was a lot of homegrown drafted players. That's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> all right, we all just right, got so third worst. That's all we're looking for, third worst. Can you name the other one so I, I, I know who they were again? Sorry. Uh, so worst was Vegas. Uh, second worst Jets, fourth worst Giants, fifth worst Texans. You also said eighth worst Titans, ninth worst Arizona, and I think that's all the ones that we've mentioned so far at the bottom. Um, just rounding out the top ten. So you said the you said six was Bengals, uh, eight was Green Bay, nine was Seattle, seven was Pittsburgh, and yeah. ten was Indianapolis. Okay. For bottom, I'm gonna say Cleveland. Cleveland is somewhere in that eleven to twenty-two range. Gotcha. Okay. Um. Hmm. Oh, uh, Rams. Yep. F Dem picks is yeah. third worst. Yeah. Got Rams, it. Rams okay. won a Super Bowl with. Not playing homegrown players. Tampa yep. won a Super Bowl with homegrown players, and Tom Brady. That was a, that was a team I was thinking of originally when we were talking about it, and I was like, I haven't said them yet. So yeah, yep. Awesome. Uh, this one was the most. You, we didn't mention them, but just the thing I found most interesting. Sixth worst on this list is actually the Buffalo Bills, which really? I would not have guessed. They have a lot of veterans, and. Uh, I just learned this after they lost in the playoffs. Buffalo has not drafted a pro bowler since the Josh Allen draft class. Wow. They're failing him. That's crazy. Four years they have not drafted a pro bowler, which is probably why they have to go out and, for example, sign Von Miller. Yeah, make a lot of aggressive moves, but they're in trouble right now. Buffalo needs to get it together because they're not getting talent to surround Josh Allen with and... 
you know, they just extended him. I mean, there's question marks about Stefan Diggs and his commitment with the team now. I mean, it's, it could get ugly. Well, this is when the, the money kicks in because the last, so two years ago, the year that they played, um, the year they played Kansas City in the playoffs and uh, the crazy, you know, overtime coin flip, 28 points in two minutes or whatever it was. Greatest football yeah. game ever played. That year, I think Allen and Diggs made a combined like 17 million against the cap. And then yeah. last year, it was like 24 million, something like that, 24 to 27. Uh, then next year, I think it's going to be 50 million between the two of them against the cap. So they yeah. have to really start hitting on some of these picks and finding value within the margins. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a big key for them. And I think it starts in the offensive line, honestly. I really do. I think you need to hit some picks in the offensive line because Josh Allen has had problems in terms of making bad decisions whenever he gets pressured. And I think ensuring that he can stay held, clean in the pocket will, will allow him to either use his legs to get out of the pocket and make plays and extend plays or be able to, to step in the pocket and throw you know great passes to Stefan Diggs and and guys like that Gabe Davis maybe and Dawson Knox um, who are very capable of making plays after the catch as well. All right, Blake Jude, thank you so much for doing these mock drafts and having some fun with us today. Uh, Stripe Hype since he's the place to go for all of your NFL draft expertises. Uh, we'll probably reconvene at least one more time before the draft to put together some mocks and maybe we'll have a trade come in as soon as this gets released because that's the luck that we've had over the years. Yeah, knowing our luck, that's definitely what's going to happen. But yes, thank you so much for having me on. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. All righty. See you later, Blake. See you around. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit